Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature New York City-based artist Chase Hall. His paintings and sculptures respond to generational celebrations and traumas encoded throughout American history. Responding to a variety of social and visual systems, each of which intersects with complex trajectories of race, hybridity, economics, and personal agency, Chase generates images whose materiality is as crucial to their compositional makeup as their indelible approach to representation. A central body of paintings made with drip brew techniques derived from coffee beans and acrylic pigments on cotton supports is notable for both its conceptual scope and intimacy. The use of brewed coffee carries powerful symbolic weight since it evokes centuries-old geopolitical systems associated with the commoditization of a plant native to Africa. But in his hands, it also means a means of achieving subtle visual textures, a range of brown skin tones, and a mark-making vocabulary precipitated on the closeness of touch. Above all, however, it is his improvisational willingness to immerse himself in the indefinable personal hieroglyphics of each picture that gives his work its resonance and impact. Chase was commissioned by the Metropolitan Opera to produce a large-scale artwork for its opera house in New York. It was on view through June of 2023. He has been included in group exhibitions including Together in Time, selections from the Hammer Contemporary Collection, the Hammer Museum in 2023, Black American Portraits at LACMA in 2021, Young, Gifted, and Black, the Lumpkin-Bocuse Family Collection of Contemporary Art, the University of Illinois, Chicago. Chase has been an artist-in-residence at the Mountain School of Arts in Los Angeles, Mass MoCA in Massachusetts, and Skowhegan School for Painting and Sculpture in Maine. His work is in the permanent collections of institutions including LACMA, Dallas Museum of Art, ICA, Miami, the Balt Museum of Art, the Brooklyn Museum, the Stu Museum of Art, the Whitney, to name a few. Enjoy this episode featuring New York City-based artist Chase Hall and visit CerebralWomen.com for more information. Thank you, Chase, for joining me on my podcast. Happy to be here. So as a youngster, when did you discover your artistic passion? I think I noticed early on that I really was drawn to color and kind of personifications of figure through cartoons. Um, mm-hmm. There's multiple kind of memories of just sitting in front of the VHS player and kind of watching Lion King or All Dogs Go to Heaven or these kind of, uh, yeah, I guess moments where you're blending hyperbole in life and color and texture and line and form, but you don't really have the language for it. 
Um, that was one of the initial points where I started to recognize I was more drawn to that than other things in my life, as well as sports jerseys. I've always loved sports and I've always had kind of an affinity with the jerseys and the colors and those kind of color combinations. And uh, my grandpa had a old film camera that he gave me when I was about seven, which was the first time I could start to kind of build compositions and think about what in that frame excited me, but really probably cartoons, sports jerseys, and the opportunity to, to wear clothes that you liked for no good reason, but they were just kind of references of something you were inspired by or liked. And my mom was always very open with what I could wear. So I'd wear bright colored socks that were bright pink and bright blue and, you know, some wild shorts and like a funny shirt. And I thought that, hey, look at me, I'm, I'm expressing myself. So I think it started there probably through style and cartoons. Do you recall, was there an artist that influenced you? Yeah, I mean, there were there are many artists. I think the first kind of, some of the initial breakthroughs, I think really were happening through hip hop, jazz and movies, as well as TV shows. Like I remember early 2000s watching like The Chappelle Show or Proud Family or Wild and Out or these kind of social critique moments in early 2000s kind of pop culture where I started to recognize like, oh, those are similar questions that I'm kind of asking myself in terms of identity or race or economics or kind of these different ways where you're starting to analyze society. But I don't necessarily know who initially was that kind of point. I think my older brother, I guess, to be 100% honest with that would be probably the main person as an artist that inspired me. He showed me how to, you know, make music somewhat, draw, stencil, you know, put stickers on my snowboard. He was the one who was always kind of passing down game creatively. And then when I started to think more about photography and visual arts, like after I was 16, 17, I was drawn to Gordon Parks, as well as some of the other photographers around kind of the ideas of photojournalism or documentation. And then when I moved to New York and I started to see artworks by all different types of people up close, the kind of plethora of inspiration was just kind of endless and still is. Yeah, there, there's so many, it would be hard to name. How would you define your practice? What, what materials do you use? I guess I would define my practice as like a ongoing project, breaking down American history, identity, race, material, and the ways it shows up today and how it's come to fruition. I work a lot with coffee as liquid, a lot with coffee as grounds and cotton canvas. And I use acrylic paint as well as some pencil. And it's really a mix between abstraction and figure as well as kind of a vicarious autobiography attempt kind of swirled into that triangulation as well. Are any of your past memories reflected in your work? Yeah, oftentimes I'm trying to kind of locate that inner child and like kind of grieve and clean and renew that wound in a way. I often think about things being incredibly beautiful and haunting at the same time. And how can those feelings kind of exist in the same place? So oftentimes the coffee or the paint will represent blackness and this kind of material conceptual usage, whereas the whiteness of the paintings or works on paper represent whiteness and this kind of refusal or emptiness and this kind of psychosis and kind of refusal space in between the absolutes of black and whiteness. So I try and mix like elements I love and moments that I'm almost shameful of. And when they kind of exist, almost like mountains and valleys right next to each other, I think there's a tension and ideally an honesty and kind of what I'm questioning and critiquing in my life and in my work. And when you're creating, do you think about who your audience is? I really don't. 
I think I try and understand who I am and this kind of know thyself and kind of question and make space for the moments where you knew something like wasn't right or these kind of microaggressions or pulling these thorns out of this kind of spiritual self. I think often I think more about this cauldron and slippage of memory and ideas of self-liberation and post-victimhood. So I kind of oscillate a lot more within my own memory and just kind of locating that younger self and other people that are thinking similarly or dealing with ideas of mixedness or a nomadic upbringing or things of just trying to imagine blackness outside of the stereotypical brackets we see it in now and what does it mean to see like a black nuance and black adventurism and those ideas i think are more more of a catalyst for me than considering who the viewer is i think about it like a sound almost like when you hear a jazz player play a horn a certain way like that frequency or that twang is like a magnetism in a way towards his expression and it's less like someone's gonna love how this sounds it's just kind of trying to play that horn as loud as you can or strum the guitar in a way that feels authored by you on that topic of music do you listen to music while you're working I listen to a lot of music. Recently, I've been trying to be more strict on myself. I think in the first five, seven years of my project, I would kind of make it a point to listen to artist talks and podcasts and random YouTube videos about random things that excited me. And then kind of post-lunch, I would turn on music as almost like fueling the tank. And then I kind of got lazier and just focused more on my own kind of freedom and flow state of like turning the music even louder and not listening and gathering and note taking as much and now i'm kind of ebbing and flowing back into the more kind of research-based music listening so it's not so kind of free and liberating as the last probably two years where i've been trying to just like dance around and strike and rake and pull paint across the canvas while feeling that kind of rhythm and belief system in this kind of frequency in the world around you and like allowing that to almost coagulate into the paint. Like I, I deeply believe that there are moments of serendipity and uh, that kind of cauldron moment I talked about where things align and feel great. And I feel like you always want to run closer to that feeling and run away from it. But I'm also recognizing that when I'm learning, my brain is doing cartwheels or doing push-ups or something. And it's so exciting that I get to like almost vibrate through the process instead of kind of flow and dance through the process. So just a different intake system and I guess maybe shifting gears in a way. And how do you keep on learning? I keep on learning through trying to recognize that a lot more to learn. Um, and that there's a lot more out there. And I think for me, there was, there's always like a an opportunity to exercise your mind or do something that kind of pushes you. And I think it's closer to that feeling than the idea of like endless knowledge. Like it really just excites me and it's kind of like a carrot in front of the horse in a way. Like I just like learning new things and it, it kind of pushes me to then try and continue to push or question what that thing was or is. How do you go about choosing your colors? I think that goes back to the idea of learning how to express yourself through clothing or through markers or crayons, and you start to develop this kind of palette or things you like. I think they're ever-changing, but I think the colors are really about just trusting your gut. You kind of build this intuition as a muscle, and I feel like when you really exercise it and you've had to rely on it before just kind of trusting yourself in that way and recognizing that that moment of color represents so much more than just the pigment um so for you it can be 
a moment of like fighting for a color. Like I fight for many different tones of browns in my work, but I also often will find like a chromium oxide or like a yellow oxide, Russian blue. And then through mixing, you get to kind of run the gamut of these like main cornerstones of your palette. But really it is like, what am I going to wear today? That's how I think about it. And if I was to fully embody my painting, what would it be wearing? And those are just, I guess, referential kind of uh, intrinsic decisions that relay probably closer to my photographic background and like love of just watching people and seeing style and recognizing archetypes and just trying to think about it more cinematically. You know, if I'm a costume designer or character thinking about character development, you know, why is this person wearing this? What color is it? What does that mean about what they like to do? What temperature is it? What material, you know, is it a tweed? Is it linen? Those are moments where I get to just develop world building and landscapes and character development and all of those things feed in and out of each other. When do you know work is finished? That's also kind of trusting your gut. I think when you're like, I can step away from this and hope it tells the story of what I put into it, what I think about and farther, you know, much further beyond that. I think that there are people who don't necessarily know when to stop. And then there are people who stop too early. And I think for me, it's just trusting that when that light bulb in your heart, mind, spirit kind of goes off, you're kind of like, whoa, it's doing the thing. And you set up parameters, at least for me to build out what I want in an image. And then when I go past it is great, but also there's times where I arise at that feeling before what I was thinking for the work. So I think it varies, but it's really like that feeling of trusting something and hoping that that energy is in it and lives on and kind of holds up without you there or continuing to work on it. When do the titles of your work enter the creative process? The titles for me, I think about it a lot like a track list on the back of a CD and what's the story, what's kind of the little cheese for the mouse. I like to think about it as like almost these like personal haiku or even in the kind of more internet world now, like these little moments of like quotes or if it was a saying, what would the saying be? Or if there is a message here, what can it be almost abbreviated while still being open enough? Like when you read a haiku or something, you're like, wow, that took me way further than just the title. So it's it's a kind of mix of me trying to play into poetry, but also play into the kind of music track list direction as well. And they come all across. Some are very obvious to me early. And then sometimes I'll sit and look at the work and not come up with anything. And I have to kind of make a decision through a few that I've jotted down on my notepad. So it it varies, um, but I definitely love titles. And I think when people say untitled, it's kind of funny, just kind of like a hot take, but like an untitled parentheses, you know, sunny wall. It's like, wait, the title then would have been Sunny Wall, right? Like, what's the untitled? So I'm always kind of like interested in how people can create moments of like opacity in the title. You know, there's the ones who are like object one through 1000. Then there's the untitled parentheses sailboat. And then there's the overly kind of romantic title song lyric side. And I think I probably fall closer to that. But yeah, I'm always interested in how people title their work and what it kind of helps you understand about it or not understand about it. If you were not a visual artist, what career path do you think you would have chosen? I've always loved basketball and I've always loved tennis and I love jazz and rapping. So maybe one of those four. problem with that is, I think, with athletics is that you have a certain point where you kind of have to figure out what you're going to do next. 
Whereas with music, you can do that until, you know, you transition into your next X, Y, Z. And I think painting is that as well. It's I'm happy I can do it forever. But if I really wasn't an artist, I don't know. I just started teaching at NYU last year and this will be going into my second year and I really enjoy teaching. So I think if I wasn't an artist, I would like to teach, but that's kind of a cop-out answer, I guess. That's the truth from a younger kids than college. So what are you excited about right now? Right now, I've just finished putting up both my shows that open this September. One is with David Kordansky in New York, titled The Bathers, and one is titled Melanoidin with Pace Prince. And they're only about two streets away from each other, both in Chelsea. And I've been kind of thinking about them like an A-side, B-side experience, where the Kordansky show is much more kind of like ballads and heavy-handed, kind of larger in scale, where the print show is much more kind of frequency material-based and uh, more trying to extend my practice and ideas onto paper and also try and navigate how the grounds can act in ways outside of a liquid that I'm usually using in the painting. So it's been about a three-year experimentation with the grounds in this show. Melanoidin will be my first presentation of that. So that's something I'm really excited to share and put out in the world, as well as having a show that I am excited that's in walkable distance. So I, I think I'm excited to, uh, you know, it's the end of August. I <laughs> didn't have a summer. And I have two shows coming up and then it's my birthday. And then I'll be teaching and taking some time to kind of just rest and be with my wife and read and yeah, kind of get lost in the next kind of experiment that I've been thinking about. So I'm excited to just keep on keeping on. You know, I'm, I'm a believer that hard work rewards hard work, but you got to find those little moments of uh, rest and reprieve and intellectual gathering. So I'm excited to try and step into the fall and just kind of rest and reflect and read some more books and spend some time doing some things that are outside of just painting. So it'll be cool. I'm trying to push myself. I still work out of my house. I have no assistants. I have no studio manager. So there's some elements of growing pains and trying to take those steps as well. So ideally this fall, I'll be able to help myself get out of the house, you know, get a proper studio, ideally get someone that can play bad cop a little bit and help me in the emailing sector and organizing and all of that. So I'm excited about a good amount, but really feeling like uh, just to have mounted both the shows this past week, I can kind of take a breath and buy myself a nice dinner with my wife and take a couple weeks off. So I'm excited about that too, some rest and kind of end of summer. Do you feel Black art can be defined? You know, I think about this, like when someone's like, what do you do? You know, I never say like, I'm a Black artist. What do you do? I think that kind of is how I think about it. Like, I don't think art can be defined. I think black art is a bracket within art and it doesn't really help anyone. So for me, no, I don't think it can be defined. I think of it just as art and I think art can't be defined either. So no. What does your workplace look and feel like? And when you get a new place, what do you want it to look and feel like? Yeah, my studio really is just kind of my mind outside of my head in a way there's a lot of kind of tchotchkes and oddities cameras a bunch of paint tubes some brushes some brushes i collect that are kind of wonky and i barely use but they excite me just to look at there's some earlier paintings or paintings from artists that inspire me or postcards and all sorts of things i'm definitely like maxing out the walls in here and it's at a point where i need to clean up some of the clutter but really a lot of books a lot of paint some stretcher bars. I don't know. I'm not a super dirty painter. You know, my studio is clean and kept. I'm a Virgo, pretty organized. I definitely don't get paint all over my clothes. There's not, you know, 
you don't walk on paint tubes and early sketches when you come in it's it's clean i kind of think it's helps me locate what i'm trying to think about instead of think about how dirty my room is or how unorganized or how i can't find a certain tube of paint or book so yeah it's pretty clean but also pretty maxed out in terms of the oddities and ends and components of assemblage found objects kind of old print ephemera i definitely I'm a bit of a hoarder or kind of collector of things in that way as well. But that's separate from the painting room that kind of exists at a little room in between the hallway and the painting room. Yeah, those collectibles, I have so many myself. There's a connection that you develop with them. They take you into a space and time, make you think of things that are unique. Yeah, definitely. I think that spiritual kind of uh, reciprocity exists in objecthood, most definitely. And there's certain things that kind of sing to you, or maybe they clap at you, or maybe they snap at you or point at you, but they do something kind of intrinsically that I believe in. And I think that you're trying to kind of free that message or share it or kind of riddle with it. But there's definitely more than just the space that things take up and that we're dealing with. You know, when you look at some work, it just makes you smile. All types of objects can do that if you let them. And yeah, your favorite song on a road trip, looking out the window and just staring at the trees as, you know, you're zooming down the freeway. And like, those are the songs and memories that, you know, kind of have that post-victimhood. It has that self-liberation. It has the memory. It has the feeling. Ideally, you can kind of stay close to it even after it ends. And I think artwork operates similarly where... You can look at something and kind of be brought to a moment or brought to a thought that's always kind of ever-changing. And the idea of close looking or undertones or the underbelly, those start to show themselves throughout that process of getting closer to that artwork or to that object or to that sound. So it is this thing that evolves with you, mirrors you, reflects you, but also shares so much with you that's kind of ever ever changing. And I'm, I'm super thankful to have that relationship and it allowed that relationship into my life instead of kind of breaking it off before it even started. What would you say has been the most substantial challenge or challenges that you've encountered in your career thus far? Yeah, I think the most substantial challenges are trying to understand what it is for you, what it is for your friends, what it is for collectors, what it is for the world, what it can be, you know, in all of these different capacities. And then recognizing that through all of those different perspectives and filters, you just kind of come back to yourself and just protecting that with all you got. I think for me, it's like, there's a space that I've given for my creative expression that I really protect. And it kind of has a bayonet on the end of it. And all of these other kind of scary things, if you will, exist around it, but it doesn't touch it. And I think oftentimes in this kind of late capitalist society, the goals are, you know, steal the magic and put it on a spike and sell it. And I think if you can protect your magic and recognize how your expression is just an opportunity to author something that you're putting out into the world rather than like, is it good? Is it bad? Do they like it? What, you know, it's just like freeing yourself in that way and just recognizing that kind of protection around your heart and your spirit is really all you can do. And I think reminding yourself of those boundaries is for me the thing that I'm noticing is harder than when no one's looking in. There's no acceleration. There's no visibility. You know, you can kind of stand on your belief systems. So recognizing that as things evolve and grow, you have to become even closer to that special space that gives you the kind of the reason to get out of bed and don't let people to, you know, come in and obliterate that feeling because I think it's the one of the last sacred areas of life and we all should really protect that space.
So yeah, just managing that kind of bayonet system, I guess. Yeah, sometimes the only creature you want around is the dog. Yeah, it's like wife or the best friends or mom, but like the rest of this, it's like spiritual warfare. You know, I think a lot of this can become something it's not just through the optics of the internet and social media and sending and what's going on over there. And what's in, at the end of the day, it's like, I love to be able to get out of bed and ask my questions in the world and have some sort of receipt of that thought. And that's really it. Um, the rest of it is just kind of made to cripple you and be this kind of endurance race. This has been a great conversation. Once again, I do appreciate your time because I know you've been crazy busy. So the last question I have for you is, what do you feel is the purpose of art? And as an artist, what is your role? I think the purpose of art is just to help people understand more than they do without it. I mean, I think your role as the artist is to just move that needle of whatever your project is just a bit. I think for me, trying to use quotidian material, kind of critique and agitate abstraction, use this kind of oppositional material in the cotton, having this kind of tension, shame, guilt, kind of questions around blackness and whiteness and what is that kind of middle ground and how does it operate? And just trying to be that your own investigator, be your own detective, kind of take your project serious enough where it's something that inspires you to keep going and, and feel passionate about it. I think that the role of the artist can be so many things, but for me, it's just the opportunity to share what I'm thinking about, what I'm questioning with the world. And ideally that helps people understand themselves as it's helped me in my own kind of self art therapy, as well as understanding what my barcode is metaphorically. It's not the same as another black person. It's not the same as another person. So when you can locate what that serial number is and what it rings like and what it looks like and what it wants to wear and what world it wants to be in, I think that's an exciting thing to share because only you know what that is. So it's just having that kind of belief system where maybe, you know, your thoughts of color and texture and architecture and objecthood, those are all just as important as, you know, what the kind of media beasts or news beasts try to feed you and just, and just believing that it's worth your time. I think oftentimes art becomes like brought into the sphere of so many things it's not. When in reality, it's just exciting to keep it pretty bare bones and meat and potatoes in my own project of things I question, things I think about, and things I am trying to share in terms of aesthetic, beauty, composition, and character development. It's kind of like an open-ended question in a way, but that's what it is for me. Thank you. It's great getting to know you. I really appreciate and enjoy experiencing your work. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.